So it's lovely to see you all. Um, am I on? No? Yes? Peter's shaking his head. Is that better? Yes. Cool. So thanks, Jenny, and thanks, Simon, for reading that. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Psalm 23. And if you don't really know your way around the Bible, it's really easy to find. Just open it in the middle, and it falls open at Psalms. Um, so this is probably the most well-known of all the Psalms. Um, and I'm sure loads of us know the words off by heart. We've said and sung them at school assemblies and church services and probably most often said or sung it at funerals, which is a shame in a way, because I guess probably quite a few of us associate it with death, but actually the verses are absolutely full of life. So, we're not quite sure what, or at least I'm not sure what stage David uh, wrote this psalm, um, but it's clear when you read it that it's his declaration of faith he knows absolutely from where he stood, from his perspective, that this is the truth about who he knows God to be from his own experience. But as I read it, it's also a real challenge, a real challenge to how I live and how I worship. It's full of the Lord's promises to David and to you and to me. But am I are you living in such a way that he will fulfil or realise those promises? So let's have a look together at the verses and the promises within them. And uh, then at the end we'll spend a few minutes listening to the words set to music. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So it's the promises of protection and provision. King David had looked after his father's flocks since quite a young age, and um, so he knew a lot about sheep, genuinely, and what it meant to be a shepherd. And although it was one of the main occupations at the time in the Near East, then it was very lowly thought of. It wasn't a highly thought of job at all. So the shepherd's job was to protect and care for the flock, to provide water, food and shelter, to make sure they're safe and healthy, and to watch over them day and night, and to protect them from wild animals, which were a very real threat at that time. So this isn't theoretical or abstract protection, it's practical. And I'm sure you know the story of David and Goliath. You can find it in 1 Samuel 17. And David had offered to fight Goliath, the enormous Philistine that everyone else was terrified of, um, and Saul was trying to talk him out of it because, as Saul said, you are only a boy, and he, Goliath, has been a fighting man from his youth. But David assures Saul that during his time looking after his father's flocks, he'd already had to fight off both a lion and a bear um, in protecting his sheep. And he says, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So David knew the Lord's protection on a practical level too. So the term shepherd uh, 
wasn't only used for people who herded sheep for a living, but it was also used in a broader sense um, and described the kings or Israel's leaders. Um, so in 2 Samuel 5, when David became king after Saul, the Lord says to him, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their ruler. So there's a sense of rulership and authority in the, in the term as well. And as in this psalm, it's used as an image for God. And Jesus also describes himself as the good shepherd and the one who lays down his life for the sheep. So David knew exactly what was involved in being a shepherd, but he's actually writing this, this psalm from the perspective of being a sheep. Now, sheep aren't the brightest creatures in the world, are they? Not sure many of us would fancy being associated with a sheep or compared to them. They're stubborn and stupid. They're easily frightened. They tend to follow other sheep without thinking through the consequences and they very easily get caught up in thickets from which they can't escape. Well, maybe we're not so different. But David the sheep knew exactly who his shepherd was. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord. There is only one. The Lord, the creator of heaven and earth and everything in it. The one who flung stars into space. The same one who made you and made me. The one who has a plan and a purpose for my life and yours. David wrote, he is my shepherd. Not our shepherd, but my shepherd. This is personal. He'd already experienced the Lord's care and protection in the past. And because of that, he was able to declare in faith, he is my shepherd today. And because of that, he was able to declare he will be and do the same tomorrow and forever. And because he's my shepherd, I shall not want. I won't lack anything. He will provide for all my needs. So Jehovah Jireh, one of the names of God, means God our provider. So if he is my shepherd, I shall not lack I shall not want. Now it doesn't mean I'll have everything I want, but it means I'll have everything I need. Because all a sheep needs is a good shepherd. Now those are amazing promises just in the first verse. The only question is, is he your shepherd? He will be if you want him to be, but you'll need to follow him. You'll need to recognise his voice. Because only when you can say from your heart, the Lord is my shepherd, can you say, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. This is the promise of peace. So I don't know about you, but when I think of that verse, my mind immediately goes to the lush green fields that we're so surrounded by and the rivers and um, streams that we have around here. 
in this country, a farmer can leave his sheep in a field for days, maybe even weeks, I don't know, but know that there'll be enough for them to eat and they'll be pretty safe. But it wasn't like that when King David was a shepherd and it isn't like that now in Palestine's West Bank where David cared for his sheep. It's nothing like it is here. Can we have the desert picture? So the land there is barren, mountainous, arid. It's desert. There are patches of green if you search for them, if you know where to look. And there are pools and springs of water in the desert, but they're few and far between, and the sheep would never find them on their own. As we know, sheep like us need to be able to lie down and rest. But what I found out next was a real surprise. There was a guy called Philip, or he may still be alive, Philip Keller, and he grew up in East Africa and worked as a sheep rancher. And he wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. In it, he writes, The strange thing about sheep is that because of their very makeup, it's almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Number one, owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free from all fear. Two, because of the social behaviour within a flock, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with others of their kind. Number three, if tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when free of these pests can they relax. Tim reminded me that one of the names of Satan is Beelzebub, and it means Lord of the Flies. So in the same way as sheep can't relax when they're being bombarded by flies, neither can we when we're being tormented by the enemy's lies but we'll come back to that. And lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. So this is not just about providing food and water. It's also about provision of spiritual and emotional health, even for sheep. And for them to be able to lie down and rest, they need to have been fed, and watered and be at peace. But they won't drink from a fast-flowing river or a torrent. They need still water or a pool where they can feel safe in order to drink. Now, as you know, I'm sure water's very significant in the Bible. <coughs> it's a rare commodity in the desert, but it's an essential requirement for drinking and cooking and washing. So on a physical level, Without food and water, we die. But on a spiritual level, we die without them too. The word for still waters here actually translates as waters of rest. We need to feed on Jesus, who is the word of God, and come to the waters of rest, to Jesus, who's the fount of living water, the source that will never run dry which is a crucial part of our life healing process. In John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. 
The one who comes to me will never be hungry. And the one who believes in me as saviour will never be thirsty, for that one will be sustained spiritually. So he restores my soul. What does restore mean? The Oxford English Dictionary says, give back, return something lost or stolen, repair, build up again, so as to bring it back to its original condition, <clears throat> to replace mankind in a state of grace, to free from the effects of sin, to reinstate dignity, to bring a person or part of the body back to a healthy or vigorous state, and to bring back mental calm. Who doesn't need some of that? So when does my soul need restoring? I'd suggest it's when our peace has been lost. So for example, if there's a sudden crisis, or if you're in the middle of the storms of life, if you're out of sorts with loved ones, if you've just lost someone, if you're badly hurt, if you're anxious, lonely, feeling isolated, under attack, struggling with addictions, all these things can lead to a loss of peace. And then they expose a gaping hole or emptiness in us. And it's a hole that needs filling. So what do you turn to at those times to fill the gap, to satisfy the hunger inside you, to soothe yourself? Chocolate? Drugs? Alcohol? Shopping? Porn? Do we turn to the Good Shepherd at the beginning or just as an afterthought or even not at all? I think actually we often try and do it ourselves because there's a lot of shame associated with some of that stuff and we don't really want to own up to it. And then we want to condemn ourselves and try and sort it out on our own. But we have a good shepherd who's kind and he's not condemning. And he says, don't do it yourself. Let's look together at what's going on underneath. Let's find the root, the cause of these hungers, and allow me to soothe and heal the pain, to bring back your peace. King David knew he couldn't restore himself, and neither can we. We all have times when we feel so weak and overwhelmed that we can't put one foot in front of the other. And in those times, it says as in Isaiah chapter 40, the shepherd will carry his sheep. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs, the weak and wobbly ones, in his arms and carries them close to his heart. Beautiful picture, isn't it? So if he's your shepherd and you're feeling weak and wobbly, he'll carry you close to his heart, gently put you back together and restore you to spiritual and emotional health. And if he's not your shepherd yet, please be in no doubt that he would love to be. So restoration may not mean the problem magically disappearing, 
but it might mean enabling you to live with a problem or face a situation that's really hard. It might strengthen you to survive and overcome something you feared might destroy you. And it may look very different to what you expected. And it takes time. Sometimes a long time. But he knows you and loves you better than anyone. And he knows exactly what you need. The situation may not change, but with his help, you may. I know I can look back on times in my life when I felt and was totally broken. And when I looked to, to him, after I have to say valiant efforts to do it on my own, um, unsuccessful ones, he has restored me and put me back together again. And it's sometimes it's been a work of total restoration. It's a bit like Peter did on his old MG, which you may have seen on Friday, looking magnificent. But he inherited it, and it was delivered to him in bits, in boxes. It took him some considerable time and a lot of love to rebuild and restore it. There are also times when it's more like a minor service and doesn't take long at all, like repairing the fuel pump, changing the tyres. But I know by experience, as David did, that he has restored me, he does restore me, and he will restore me. And I'm thankful because I'll continue to need it. How about you? He guides me in paths of righteousness. This must mean that there are unrighteous paths. Anyone here ever got sidetracked down one of those? King David certainly knew what it was to stray from the righteous path. He saw Bathsheba bathing on a roof. And he kept watching. And then he gave in to the temptation to have sex with her, and then he fell in love. As you probably know, she got pregnant. He then had her husband killed, and the baby they conceived subsequently died. Now that definitely couldn't de be described as a path of righteousness. And David was described as a man after God's own heart. So I'm sure we've all strayed from the righteous path. Sheep aren't clever, and nor are we. It's so easy to wander off wittingly and unwittingly and put ourselves and others in danger. In John 10, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Now, over here, the shepherd has sheepdogs who herd the sheep up and take them to wherever they're meant to go. But over there, the shepherd walks ahead, and they follow his voice because they know him. So David, this man after God's own heart, who got so much right, but also messed up in quite a mega way, was quick to recognise the Lord's voice speaking through Nathan the prophet. He repented, got back on God's path and was forgiven and restored. So be encouraged. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And when we're on the wrong path, he wants to pick us up, dust us off and set us back on the right one. He's not out to crush us. His path is the one that will cause his glory to be seen through what only he can do in our lives, 
and that brings honour to his name. And he doesn't do that because we deserve it, because we definitely don't. He does it because of who he is, to be true to his own name and reputation. So fortunately for us, it's the quality of the shepherd, not the quality of the sheep that's important. What kind of path are you on at the moment? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is the promise of presence. We'll probably all journey through the valley of the shadow of death more than once in our lives. Nat, can we please have the definition up now? Uh, We've got a Hebrew word here. My Hebrew's a bit rusty, so I'm not really good. It's called Salmawet. Nigel might know how to pronounce it properly, or Tim. Anyway, um, it means deep darkness or death shadow or deepest gloom. So these dark valleys can be really tough to go through. But they're a necessary part of life. It's often not actual death, but even so, it can feel like it. Deepest gloom, it can feel desperate. But did you notice? It says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The Psalms become even more personal. Going from David writing in the third person, he makes me lie down, he restores, he guides, to the very personal, the intimate, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So even the paths of righteousness aren't necessarily peaceful. And the promise is not that there will be no evil, just that I don't need to fear it. For you, the Lord, are with me. I'm surrounded by your presence when you are my shepherd. I'm not alone. And you, my Lord, the one who loves and cares for me, will accompany me. I'll stumble and fall if I do it on my own. But you will lead me through it and you're with me all the way. I'm standing a little bit. Am I? No? Okay. Your rod and your staff comfort me. So the rod, I think, was a bit like a club and it was used to protect and defend the sheep, to ward off predators, and the staff was used to guide them. But they were also both used to discipline the sheep and bring them back into line, to stop them wandering off and doing something stupid or dangerous. And it's not just sheep that do that. We do that too, and sometimes we need to be disciplined. In Proverbs 3, it says, Don't, dear friend, resent God's discipline. Don't sulk under his loving correction. It's the child he loves that God corrects. A father's delight is behind all this. So while the Lord may not always use his power to keep us out of dark valleys or trials, We're not there by mistake. He hasn't accidentally taken a wrong turn. But his presence and power will always be there to keep us through them. And even though we wouldn't necessarily choose to go down them, we need them to grow and mature. Rick Warren says, 
God is more interested in your character than your comfort. He's more interested in making your life holy than he is in making your life happy. But even on the darkest journey, the Lord has promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. And there are generally richer pastures on the other side of the dark valley. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This too is provision and protection. But here, David moves from the picture of the shepherd to the image of the host. And hospitality was incredibly important and still is in the Middle East. So when the host invited a traveller into his home, it wasn't only shelter and food that the honoured guest was offered. It was also a guarantee of protection from harm from anyone outside who was out to get you. So you'd be safe and protected offered care, fellowship, sustenance. And the more prestigious and influential the host, the better and more lavishly you were provided for. So who's the one who invites us? We have the invitation of the Lord of hosts, the creator, the redeemer, the one who loves us beyond measure. When we're in his house, and at his table, we are safe from his enemy, our enemies. We're wonderfully provided for on every level. It doesn't matter who or what's clamouring for us outside, we can be safe in his care. He's totally for us. doesn't mean everything outside will be rosy, but it does mean that in the midst of whatever's going on, he will be with us, he'll provide and protect and you'll find many blessings there too. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Uh, Anointing with oil was and is used for several different reasons. It was used as uh, part of consecrating a king um, or a high priest for a holy or sacred task or role. Prophets were also anointed to speak God's word. And we're anointed to be filled with the Holy Spirit for a particular role or task and also for healing of the mind, body or emotions. But it was part of what you received when you were um, invited into the host's house. The weary traveller was offered a cup of oil to refresh and reinvigorate their body. And for an especially honoured guest, the host would keep on filling the cup to overflowing. So can we go back to the sheep for a moment? When sheep are attacked by parasites and flies, especially in the summer, it literally drives them mad. They can't eat, they can't drink, they can't rest, they just run around and they will often hurt themselves and they then become exhausted. So at the first sign of the flies, the good shepherd anoints them with oil so that their heads are completely covered. The oil repels the insects and the sheep quickly calm down and can feed again. 
They don't understand why they feel better or how the oil works. They just know that when they're with the shepherd in his presence and when they lower their head for his anointing, they feel safe, protected and at peace. And it's not a once-only thing. Sheep will need to be anointed with oil throughout the summer, just as we continue to need the anointing. We continually need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This too is peace and presence. Now, I looked up the word follow, and the Hebrew word is R-A-D-A-P, might be pronounced radap, radap, sorry. But it means chase after, pursue. So this isn't the Lord's goodness and mercy just ambling along behind us somewhere. If we follow the Lord as our shepherd, we can trust him to fulfil his promises as we journey through our lives. And when we do, we will be pursued by his goodness and mercy. Isn't that wonderful? They're such beautiful attributes. His goodness is his love, his kindness, his grace, his forgiveness. So his goodness supplies all our needs and his mercy blots out our sins. It means he's chasing after us to do good, to be kind, to be faithful to us in whatever situation we find ourselves. So we can be surrounded by his presence as long as we're here on earth. And then when our days here are ended, we'll spend eternity in the house of the Lord, in his presence, where there will be no more tears, no more sickness, worshipping him forever. We're going to listen to um, some music now and I'd ask you just to think about what it is that you need from the Lord today, right now, at the beginning of this new term, this new season. There's the promise of protection, provision, presence, peace, if he's already your shepherd. And maybe you want to invite him into your life to be your shepherd for the first time. Maybe you've lost him as your first love. And at the start of this new season, we need to make him Lord of our heart again. So let's listen to the music and open our heart to him. Yeah, we praise you, God, for your endless mercy your good provision and your wise guidance. We thank you that you are our good shepherd and that as we move on from today, through this week and through this new season, that we can trust you to guide us, that we can relinquish uh, the control that we like to take on our lives and we can follow you praising you so as we come to an end we just pray Father for your blessing and your protection 
and your ongoing provision for uh, our brothers and sisters here and for uh, those who we love. And particularly, Lord, we pray for Nathan and Sarah, Lord, that as they embark on married life together, that you will surround them with your love and guidance.